everybody, and welcome to another episode of X Band the Phantom Podcast. This is our episode. Tw- this is episode 25. We did record a previous 25, but we had technical difficulties, so we apologise for the delay in episodes. But anyway, this episode will be all about um, Supernova and Comic Con and the Lee Fork Memorial Bengala Explorers Club dinner, which happened last weekend. Um, I wasn't able to go, but very luckily Jermaine was able to go, so he's going to tell us all about it. How are you, Jermaine? Not bad, mate. Pretty good. Um, getting over the getting over the man flu and and everything. Um, so it's pretty good. Yeah. Did you say so you were sick when you were in Sydney? I was actually sick before, but because you spend such a long weekend and you're stuck with other smelly, sick people and stuff yeah. as well, you kind of, you know, normally I'm sick at the dinner, the whole weekend, but I was kind of sick before, and then lack of sleep, being in an aeroplane, being with other people that are only out, ever, you know, let out of their basement once or twice a year. Oh, you come, come on, that dude, that's, that's a bit of a stereotype. <laughs> um, I don't even yeah, have no. a basement. <laughs> I'm a lot better now, um, and it was good. actually it was it was a good um it was a good weekend. But we'll go into more detail. All right, awesome. Well, um, like I said, I wasn't able to make. Uh, make it this year due to monetary constraints. So, um, so you weren't allowed to you weren't allowed to get out of your basement. <laughs> no, I didn't have the money to get out of my basement. I have to get out of my basement <laughs> twice in very close proximity to each other. And the second trip is to, you know, um, my cardiologist. So unfortunately, I had to pick one or the other, and I thought that was a bit more important. So, you know, only one trip out of the basement per year. Um, right, so Supernova in Sydney, for those that may not know, is a big uh, pop culture convention. Um, it happens all over Australia in each uh, capital city, but uh, we usually meet up at the Sydney one. Um, so this year, how was it, Jermaine? Did it rain again? Uh, surprisingly, no. Wow. It rained the Friday, and the sun was actually out. Wow. Um, it was... Now, it's... Sydney must have like the worst weather going around, probably right next to Melbourne. Um, <laughs> it was cold, but they actually had some sun. The sun does shine on the eastern side of Australia. <laughs> Thought it was just the sun just shined on God's country over in here in WA. <laughs> um, but no, it, it, it was good. Um, uh, yeah, probably the most disappointing part was the fact that it was it was a lot it was bigger than than uh, than it's been the last couple like every year it gets bigger yeah but the stalls for comics tends to get smaller and yeah. now I I hadn't at that stage got Kings three mm-hmm. and so I was thinking oh no need to go into the city to get you know go to Kings or Comic Kingdom and go get the latest King issue I'll just wait until I go to Supernova. And I also hadn't, I also hadn't gotten the latest Fru issue as well, and so I thought I'll just get them all at Supernova. It will be, you know, kill a couple of birds with one stone. I had a friend who wanted a, a Batman comic, and so I was looking at that for him. And I had some other fru, older Fru's that I was specifically looking for as well, and there was just no stores. Um, it was, it was quite pathetic to be honest. Um, you know, and it was very same same. Like a lot of stalls, there was probably four stalls of the same stuff. Um, it was 
it was disappointing. Now, I understand comics don't sell, and it's more, you know, the the pop vinyl figurines, the the clothes, the t-shirts, the um, corsets are back in as well. By the way, apparently that's not um, a bad was, thing. Yeah, I, I agree. That tends to be a good thing. There was about three stalls of different corsets and. Um, so seriously, I spent majority of the weekend, a majority of the Saturday, looking for baby clothes. There was more <laughs> stores for baby clothes yeah. than there were for comics. Yeah, it's interesting because I think we talked about this last time, and I think that geekdom has changed. I think yeah. it's becoming more of a lifestyle thing now because of the success of the movies and you know. I don't like giving this show credit because I hate it, but Big Bang Theory, things like that that have popularised, you know, that geek culture, and it's become, you know, like I say, more of a, a lifestyle thing, you know, like goth the or clothes you emo. wear. Yeah, yeah. which um, is, is a shame because, is like you say, it's at the expense of comics. I remember, I think I've mentioned this before, when we used to have um, OzCon in Sydney, which was a comic convention it was literally a comic convention and you couldn't swing you know you couldn't swing a dead bengali pygmy around without hitting some sort of awesome comic in there um yeah i probably should have said that <laughs> i wanted to make it phantom themed i didn't think cat had worked but that might have been a step too far <laughs> um but yeah anyway you couldn't you couldn't you know look anywhere without seeing you know shelves and shelves of awesome comics and that's where i got the vast majority of my um, fan and back issues because um, mm. I started in the early thousands and I've got all the way up to 100 um, se- sequentially which I know for some collectors are probably tutting saying oh you think that's a collection but when I was you know 12 or something that was a, a big lo- lot of stuff to get so I was able to get the majority of that at conventions mm. but now you just can't do that and it's I remember the first Sydney terrible. one I went to was was um because I, I think I've gone now for about... I think we worked it out for about six or seven years now. Yeah. Like, for the majority of them. And the first one, that you had um, Nigel Johnson having a store. Mm-hmm. You had uh, Dietmar having a store. So, you know, there was... other. There was... You know, they all had comics. And then there was, you know, um, like, Comic Kingdom had a big store. King's Comics. You know, they had more than just uh, trade paperbacks and figurines and stuff. And it was, um, yeah, I remember, like, you, you, you almost had to go another day just to go through everything. Yeah, exactly. But seriously, I've gone through everything in the first hour because, you know, there was, like, four or five stores of comics and, mm-hmm. um, you know, one guy wanted, uh, there was one guy that wanted uh, $1,200 for a, um, uh, an issue in 121 or something. And you know, we had a bit of a laugh and told him he's, uh, you know, you know, he's got peanuts for brains, and he says, "Oh no, that's what they're selling for." And I'm like, um, "Well, there's a store down there, t- you know, two stores down, or one store down that's selling a similar issue for, you know, for 150 dollars." Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was really disappointing. Mm, that that is a shame. I I can understand kind of. Um, the back issue thing to an extent because a lot of people now instead of going and searching out back issues um, will get the trade collection which you know is is great for American comics and some UK ones but for the Phantom particularly that's not going to happen 
Um, unless yeah. you're getting the more recent stuff like Last Phantom or even some of the Moonstone stuff. But even that's hard to find in collect- collections. Yeah. Um, so there, can... was one, there was one place that had just like... It had two stores and it was basically $2 a comic. Mm. Now, I had like heaps of back issues from the 80s and 90s. They didn't have any frues because they... I asked them, oh, you got frues? And they're going, oh, no, I didn't think anyone would want to buy those, so we didn't bother bringing them. Um, <laughs> now, for someone like, you know, who's looking for back issues of DC and Marvel, that was a place to go to. But, um, yeah, I, I was disappointed about did, it. Did you say anything to him when he said, I didn't think anyone would buy them? Um, or, you know, I, I, like we said, well, you know, we would have had a look for them. And they're like, oh, 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 here's our business card. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you're after. And it's like, well, no. Yeah. That's, um, but, yeah, but luckily Terry Beatty had a, had a, um, uh, had a store. So, you know, and, um, so he had for sale a lot of his original artwork, which was good pricing, actually, because, um, uh, quoting his words, he couldn't be bothered tra- uh, um, converting the currency. Mm-hmm. So basically, you were getting a dollar for dollar, which was you know, which is good prices. You were able to get a a Sunday with the Phantom in every panel for three hundred bucks Australian. Wow, that's that's um, awesome. Which you know, like, you know, there, there there was you know, I brought one, and I know there was I know other people that brought at least 10 between them so you know he probably made up for his money anyway because of the you know people buying it um and he had some uh, little sketch cards which the fan ones went you know you know went went ballistic um i think he had like 20 there or something and i got the last two at like 10 o'clock um i saw one guy you know pocket about eight or ten of them uh he bradley will remain nameless um <laughs> Um, but yeah, he also had some uh, prints as well. Um, I don't know if you remember it, but oh, I can't remember even the story. But he did like a, a for those who came in late Sunday. Oh, yep, yep, I do remember and he that. Did it in the tone of an old newspaper, like you mm. know how you get an old newspaper and it's got like the little dot, little um, little zip dot zip tone and all that. And, it, and he actually printed it out, and you could buy it for twenty bucks. And that you know, it, it was brilliant. It's um, I'm, you know, I'm definitely getting that one um, uh, framed and, and hanging up. Um, he also did a, uh, a discussion between him and um, uh, what do you call it, Mandrake as well. Oh, so yeah. yeah, so um, it was good. That's good. Cool. So did you get to talk to Terry much, or was that more at yeah, the dinner? Yeah, no, I had a bit of a chat with him. Um, he was he was pretty busy. Um, yeah, I can imagine. People, a lot of people, tend, you know, had something. Um, a lot of people had something to talk to him about. You know, a lot of people had comics for him to sign. Um, I know uh, now what a lot of people got to do is um, when they know someone's there, like they tend to put out all that stuff on their store, like. Um, Who's the, the dude that plays Castle in the uh, TV show? Nathan also Fillion. Firefly. Nathan Fillion. Um, yeah, I, I've never watched Firefly, so... Oh, you've got to watch it, man. It's awesome. He, he's Castle for me, because that's the only show I've ever watched him in. Um, I know he plays himself in the show that you love, Big Bang Theory, for an episode, but um, I'm sure you've seen that one. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so a lot of stalls had stuff for him. And then um, I know my uh, comic book shop over in Perth, they actually um, put out a lot of comics that Terry Beattie had also done as well. So, um, yeah, so that was for over in Perth, of course. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was good that he had a store. Otherwise, it almost wouldn't have been bothered working to go for the average fan of fan. Yeah. Um, now... There were two other places that had posters of the Phantom. Now, one was a futuristic version of the Phantom. Um, he, the artist is kind of a guy that puts two characters together and then does a um, uh, a print of it. Like, for instance, he does Batman and Mickey Mouse, and so he calls him Ratman. Okay. And so it's basically Batman with big Mickey Mouse ears. Yeah. Um, which... He says that a lot of people actually get really upset with him defacing the Batman um, uh, face. I can but, understand um, that, yeah. He also did one uh, called The Phantom Menace. Now, oh. most people who saw it thought it was The Phantom Menace out of the movie. Yeah. But it was actually our Phantom. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, you know, he was futuristic. He had... Um, had this robe on, and he had all the phantom elements like the guns, the good mark, the skull ring, and, and and stuff like that. Now, it was something you either loved or you hated. Yep. I don't think there was anything in between. I, like, there was elements that I loved, but then there was elements that I'm just like, yeah, nah, you missed the mark there. Mm-hmm. But um, I have to give him credit for what he's done. Yeah. Um, and a few of the people enjoyed it, and a few of the people um, brought prints. And oh, he actually okay. ended up donating one for the Lee Fort Memorial Bengala's Explorers Club dinner auction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, he got like three or four brought from us because, you know, I saw it and then I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I told a few people, and someone was like, oh, I thought that was just Star Wars. Um, so, you know, we all went back and a couple brought him and then he donated one to the auction and stuff. Now, the other poster I missed, but um, uh, Trevor Clark saw it and posted it up, like, the next day or something. And apparently what it looks, well, from what I've seen, is it's kind of like, there's, like, 20 characters, but it's them as older people. Oh, okay. And then and the Phantom's, like, a little minute little square now I, I didn't see i didn't see the print um but you know having two you know two people that are, they are not affiliated with the fandom like you know they're not part of uh free or the lee fork club or you know facebook or anything that have done prints with the phantom in it is kind of cool yeah yeah, there's other people so, out there that are aware of the character, which is always yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I, I, um, and you know, I'm aware that there was a couple of other prints as well in the uh, Melbourne one, which I'm sure um, uh, Stephen will talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, probably lastly, with the Supernova Sydney, was probably to discuss about the lunch. Yep. Um, so for those who don't know, we basically meet up at lunchtime. Uh, we met up at one o'clock at Terry's um, booth 
because basically everyone knew where Terry's booth is. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it was good fun. There was probably about 15, 16, 17 of us. Um, and we went to the uh, little cafe, which is looking like the, the place that we kind of go as part of tradition. Um, other parts of tradition, there was, you know, people making fun of each other. Um, <laughs> you know, Luke got his uh, yearly photo of me eating something. Um, something else that kind of happened is I got a water, um, but I made the mistake of getting a, a, a sparkling water. And so I opened it up and that went over everybody. Um, but yeah, it was good to kind of catch up because there was, you know, there was, um, uh, you know, there was, um, oh, what's his name? Charles, uh, from New Zealand. Um, you know, there was, and then there was all the regulars as well. So it, it was good. It was, it was good to meet up and, um, you know, kind of catch up and do some trades and, you know, little hush hush little meetings and, <laughs> and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's always, if you're there at the, if you're there at Supernova Sydney, it's always worth catching up. You, know, you don't have to hang around the whole time, but it's always good just to, you know, kind of catch up and spend time. There was uh, that's where I met Simon for the first time. Simon Brown, uh, Simon Brown, I think it is. Yeah, um, he had his family with him, um, so he had his wife and his two kids and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, it, it was good. Uh, that's great. Sounds, <clears throat> excuse me, sounds like everyone had a good time. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was. Um, you know the the what do you call it? like the dinners are, the dinners are the dinners are definitely the highlight. Yeah. But the Sydney lunch, the Sydney uh, you know the lunch catch up, it's you know it, it's it's good fun. It's definitely a lot more low key. You know you can um uh you know it's lower key. There's it's not as expensive and it's got a, it's got its place in the whole weekend. Yeah, cool, cool. Right, well, um, let's move on to the Lee Fork dinner. So, for those that don't know, the Lee Fork Memorial Bengala Explorers Club uh, has a dinner at least once every year, sometimes a little bit more often. Um, basically, they hold the dinner in memorial to Lee Fork. Uh, the club was formed after Lee Fork passed away. Um, and each dinner, they have guest speaker, uh, usually someone connected to the fandom in some way, so an artist or a writer or uh, something like that. But they also have collectibles uh, that people donate and then are auctioned off, and every single cent from that auction is donated to the children's hospital in Sydney. So it's it's for a very good cause. Um, so where was it at this year, Jermaine? Um, it was at a little cafe... I can't remember the name of it, to truthfully be honest. Um, it was at the cafe. It was the same places where they did the dinner with uh, David Gibbons, who did um, uh, a couple of fan covers and also um, uh, his famous um, that, comic book series. Was that the Deus Ex cafe yeah. with all the bikes yeah. and stuff? Yeah, it had yeah, all the really bikes good. and stuff like that. There was also a couple of um, uh, paintings or prints from the um, which had featured the Phantom. Do you remember um, oh, the one that Dietmar had in uh, December last year? Yes. So yes, a couple of the prints that he or 
stuff that he had there was actually there. I don't know if you remember the one where um, there was the peeping Tom watching the Phantom and um, let's say Diana for uh, to try and keep it family friendly, uh, <laughs> um, enjoying their fruits of marriage. So there was that there was that print and then there was another one as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was good. Uh, there was about five thousand dollars raised for charity. Um, so you know, it's it's money well spent, basically. Oh, cool. So um... now I have um, I actually recorded a couple of things from the night, and um, I believe we've uh, we're we're going to um, include that with this uh, podcast. Yes. So, um, so first up, we've got uh, Terry Beatty's speech, which he did on um, on the history of himself, history of becoming a Phantom artist, um, and then also what I enjoyed was the bit about um, his process of drawing the Phantom, where it went from computer to original art, and now back to the computer so um i thought that was quite interesting um and i guess we'll let everyone have a listen to that well i'd like to welcome you all to karaoke night here at Davis, and i'd like to get richard and ron one up here they're going to sing love shack <laughs> no well first things first uh i apologize if i if i break down into a horrible coughing fit i picked up a little bit of a cold on the uh the flight over here uh so that happens sorry uh, and then the most important thing is I, I do have to say a big thank you to, to Richard and Brown for being just wonderful hosts. Uh, so far, it's been an amazing experience being here. Um, I wanted to come to Australia for years, mostly because as a teenager, I was completely obsessed with this television show that in America was called Prisoner Cellblock H. That here, I guess, was just called Prisoner. Lizzie uh, B. Doreen, uh, the, the greatest character in fiction of all time, Frankie Doyle. Uh, I love this show. And, uh, you know, so far I haven't been able to tour a prison. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, everything else I've seen has been, been far lovelier, so maybe we'll just, we'll just skip the prison. Um, I'm kind of amazed that, that I'm here. You know, I'm somebody who started out as a little kid in a little rural community in uh, the state of Iowa. Uh, and uh, if you've never been there, you don't need to go there. There's, <laughs> there's really not a lot happening, um, which is probably has a lot to do with why I became a cartoonist. Um, I actually moved to uh, the city of Minneapolis uh, far later in life than I should have, and suddenly I was seeing, oh, there's this great music scene, and there's, there's movies, and there's art, and there's all this wonderful stuff to do, and it was great, and I was going out every night and seeing live bands playing, and I thought, if I had lived here from day one, I'd have never learned to draw, because I'd have been out doing all this wonderful, exciting stuff, and uh, realized I was glad I lived in this boring town where there was not a damn thing to do uh, but sit in my room and learn to draw comic books. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm also, I'm a cartoonist because uh, I was the fat, nearsighted kid who couldn't catch a ball. 
and, th and this is true, because the captain of the football team does not become a cartoonist. Uh, if you're the popular guy, you don't spend a lot of time alone in your room reading comics and trying to learn how to draw. And I noticed, that, that sitting here, that you know, some significant pieces of my childhood are on the wall over here. Um, and I grew up loving newspaper strips and comic books as well. Uh, you know, Phantom among them, but uh, unlike a lot of you, I wasn't completely Phantom obsessed. I was comics obsessed. And I loved the art form, uh, both the strips and the comic books. Uh, that middle cover up there, the Thor cover, is drawn by a fellow named Jack Kirby. I named my six-year-old son for him. His name is Kirby. Uh, so, so that's how crazy I am about... Uh, what is that? <laughs> is, that, is, that is that water or is that body? That's water. Okay, that's water. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I missed two. Just in case. Okay. Um, and so you, you by now may have noticed that I don't have an outline. <laughs> and I'm making this up as I go along. I had planned to write an outline for this speech, but I spent the last month working my fingers to the bone to get far enough ahead of schedule with my comic strips so that I could come here. Uh, this, this is uh, both a blessing and, and the curse of doing newspaper strips, is that they're regular work, but they're also regular work. <laughs> you can't just take off for two weeks and, uh, and, and not draw the darn things. Uh, you know, some of you know that in addition to drawing the Sunday Phantom, I draw the weekly and Sunday Rex Morgan MD comic strip. Now, I have no idea whether that runs in a single Australian paper. I, I think it probably doesn't. Uh, it's a soap opera strip, essentially, about uh, the life of a doctor and his family. And most of the readers uh, of that strip, I think, are in nursing homes. It's, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, a nationally, nationally, internationally syndicated newspaper strip. And as I said, as a kid, that's what I always wanted to do. I wanted to draw comics. Um, and I kept working at it, you know, just drawing, drawing, drawing. I was that kid in school who was the comic kid who always was drawing pictures uh, and occasionally getting in trouble because I was drawing pictures instead of doing the other schoolwork I was supposed to do. Uh, in the long run, that other schoolwork hasn't <laughs> meant much, but doing the drawings has, has paid off. Uh, And I tried early in, in my career to, to, to get a newspaper strip. I had uh, lucked into meeting uh, a fellow named Max Collins, who also lived in the same little Iowa town as mine. He was 10 years older than me, and a writer, mystery and crime writer. He had been a student in my father's English class in junior high school. And uh, mid-1970s, he published a couple crime novels. And, they were caper novels, and there were two main characters, and one was, an, uh, one was a thief, uh, like an, you know, an ex-mob thief guy, and the other character was a young kid who was a comic book collector and aspiring cartoonist. And I read these books and thought, what? <laughs> How did this happen? Somebody else in town actually knows about comic books? I thought I was the only guy in town who knew about those things. 
and, and, and Max and I connected, and I was, you know, I was a kid, he was already an adult teaching uh, at, at the local uh, community college, uh, but apparently he took pity on me and made me his, you know, little sidekick for a while. It was like, it was like in the comic books with, you know, Captain America and Bucky or uh, Batman and Robin, and I was, I was the obnoxious little kid who hung around. And eventually, I guess I grew up enough and got good enough at the artwork thing that uh, we started trying to do some work together. In the meantime, he had landed uh, the job of writing the Dick Tracy newspaper strip when Chet Gould had retired. And the plan was that when Rick Fletcher, who was Chet Gould's assistant, who had taken over the artwork and was collaborating with Max, when, when Rick was ready to to retire, that we would suggest that I could take over the strip. That didn't work out <laughs> uh, for a number of reasons, and I won't bore you with that very long story. Uh, but we attempted to sell a number of other newspaper strips, none of which were successful. We, we tried to sell a, a revived version of Little Orphan Annie. Uh, which had gone into reruns. They were reprinting Harold Gray's comic strips from the 1930s. But the Broadway musical had happened. And we knew, well, you know, that's a big enough success. They're going to try to revive the strip at this point. And we produced samples and we went in and we pitched it and we thought we had the job and they had us producing promotional materials. And then Leonard Starr did some samples. And uh, Leonard was a far more accomplished cartoonist than I at the time. And I think Leonard drew Annie for about 15 years. <laughs> and, and so I went into comic books and drew comic books for the longest time. Uh, again, working with Max. And we did Private Eye and Detective Comics, mostly a series about a female private eye called News Tree, uh, which came this close to being a TV series and it came this close to being a movie, and that never happened. But you know, we did a lot of comics, and I'm proud of that. And when it comes that close to being a TV series and that close to being a movie, you get option money. So that's nice. But it, it, you know, it never quite happened. The closest it ever came to actually uh, getting on the air uh, was I saw in an entertainment uh, a newspaper that they had put out the casting call for one for a TV series that had been optioned. And I thought, this is really going to happen. And I'd never let myself believe it was ever going to happen before because so many things get optioned that never get made in the movies. But they put out the casting call. I don't, they're going to actually make this thing. I'm going to have a TV series based on my comic book. The same day, I got a phone call saying, you know, the, the president of that network just got fired. <laughs> and they shucked everything that was in pre-production. So uh, you know, so I spent some more years working in comic books. Uh, I ended up inking uh, some Batman comics at, at DC for 11 years. And I'm rather amazed still that I had that long a run because that doesn't happen in comics uh, these days. Uh, most people who draw comics work on something for three or four months and then you get a new team uh, because the, the, the current thinking is uh, kids always want something new and different. They don't want the same old, same old every month. But, uh, but I got to draw Batman for 11 years. And a few other things. And 
you know, I thought at this point I was just going to keep drawing comic books, and I'd kind of given up on the notion of doing newspaper strips. Because uh, we tried that, and it didn't happen. And also, you know, I have to admit that we are not in the heyday of newspaper strips. Uh, you know, newspapers were, you know, were shutting down all over the country, and there's far fewer than there used to be. Uh, and also, the notion of trying to go in and sell a new story strip or adventure strip was just silly. Syndicates wouldn't even look at them. They might look at a new humor strip because you know that stuff is popular and makes a lot of money, and because comic strips have shrunk down to this size, they actually work a lot better than the adventure strips that need a little room to, to tell a story. But there are these things we call legacy strips, strips like Dick Tracy and The Phantom, uh, strips that have been running for years and years, uh, that the syndicates still have some success in placing in newspapers. And those strips need people to draw them. But the Phantom had people drawing it. <laughs> and it had, you know, wonderful people drawing it. Uh, you know, prior to me, an especially wonderful artist, Eduardo Barreto, who I admired very much. And I was, was talking with Antonio about this. And by the way, I don't know why he isn't the guest of honor <laughs> instead of me. That completely confuses me. It's like, why am I not just sitting there? And he's like, oh, okay. Great, great artist, this man. Uh, Eduardo and I, our careers circled each other in a very weird way. I did all this comic book work with Max Collins. Eduardo did a book with Max. Did a, a Batman uh, graphic novel called Scars of the Bat, which was about Batman and Elliot Ness. And despite the fact that it had Batman in the story, is frankly the most accurate portrayal of Elliot Ness you'll ever see. Because if you've seen the Untouchables movie, the Brian De Palma Untouchables movie, pardon me for saying this, <coughs> bullshit. <laughs> Absolutely nothing true, nothing accurate in that film. Uh, I also, Eduardo had drawn a, a, a book of Max Techno Comics called Mickey Spillane's Mike Danger, and he drew out the first half of the run of that series. And then he left, and then I got hired to work on it. So uh, it's, it's just an odd thing that we kept circling each other and circling each other. And then I'm looking at him doing this wonderful work on the Phantom and then heard the terribly sad news that he passed away. And now, there's, there's two ways you get the job of drawing a legacy strip. One is that somebody retires and the other far more unfortunate way is that somebody passes away. Okay. And that's just a fact of life of newspaper strips is that, you know, at, at some point, some of the cartoonists are going to pass away. And the syndicates want to keep the strips running. And I had friends who were on the inside and knew what was going on. And knew that the strip was terribly behind schedule because it had been ill and fallen behind. And that King Features would need somebody right away to jump in on the family. And my initial response was I was extremely uncomfortable with the idea of trying to present myself as the new artist because I didn't want to take advantage of the tragedy of Eduardo having passed away. But I got talked to by my friends who said, they're going to keep the strip running no matter what. It's a newspaper strip. 
there has to be a comic strip every Sunday, and somebody's going to draw it, it might as well be you. And so I sat down and I did a drawing, and, and if you see the, the prints I have donated to the auction, there's a piece with Phantom on Hero with Devil running beside him. And that was the sample drawing that I sent to the, the editor of King Features to say, hey, I'm interested, here's a drawing of the Phantom just to show you I can draw the character. And I got a phone call back uh, from Brendan Burford, who's, who's the editor there, and he liked the drawing, and he said, we'd like to send you the script for the next Sunday page. We're not offering you the job. We're giving you a tryout. And there's a few other guys who are we're going to be trying this out, but we like what you did, we'd like to see what you can do. So he gave me the script and I said, well, you know, when is it due? Because I had a few other things going on. I had some commercial jobs and some other, other things happening. And, you know, all that was, was coming due and I thought, oh, I, don't, I can't do this immediately. And he said, well, we let this as fast as possible. And I got the idea that he wanted it within the next couple days. And so I turned it in in a couple days. And then he sent me the script for the next week. And then he sent me the script for the next month. And now I've been drawing it for four years. <laughs> uh, pardon? Yeah. Yes, and I'm still on trial. I've never, you know, I've never been told you're really the guy. I'm still the new guy. I'm, and, and funny, this is just a fact, I'm, I'm not under contract, by the way. It's all a handshake deal, although I, I, I know a number of other people who draw newspaper strips who aren't under contract. Uh, and as somebody who was once a little kid, who loved the newspaper strips, who just, you know, who I, I begged my parents, can we subscribe to the other paper so that we can get both Will Abner and Steve Canyon and Johnny Hazard and Dick Tracy and Flash Gordon and Prince Valiant and Phantom. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they never quite quite bought for that because then, oh, it's expensive. We can't buy gold newspapers. Uh, but when we go visit my cousins who got the paper that had Prince Valiant and Flash Gordon and the Phantom in it, I was just, I was just thrilled. Uh, it's, it's just amazing to me that I have ended up in this position of getting to draw one of the classic newspaper strips. Uh, you know, again, something I always wanted to do from the time I was, you know, gay tall. Uh, but I had, had tried it and hadn't been able to, to, to break down those doors and, and make it happen. And it had a fairly nice career in comic books. And then, you know, the comic strips just, just came my way. And now, in addition to doing the Phantom, you know, I do the Rex Morgan strip. Uh, so I draw the, the Sunday Phantom. And the reason that the Sunday Phantom is available and that, that Paul Ryan isn't doing the daily and the Sundays, as Paul says, he likes to have a life. <laughs> he likes to have a day off, see his kids, grandkids on occasion, and just, you know, be able to breathe. Uh, is the, the Phantom is not an easy strip to draw. Uh, depending on what's going on, you know, one week you may have to draw jet fighters or a submarine and the Phantom and scuba gear and animals and, you know, various locations. We had a whole story that took place in Iceland and then there's the, the historical Phantom stories where you're having to draw pirate ships and costumes and there's a lot of research. 
when I draw Rex Morgan, it's a doctor and his wife sitting in an office or a living room talking, <laughs> and that's pretty easy, and I can, I can fake that pretty good. Uh, so it's, it's not nearly the intensive work that, that Phantom is. So doing the daily and the Sunday, you know, just seems to be a you know, massive amount of work. Now you say, well, Cy Perry did it for all those years. Well, yes, he did. Cy had a lot of assistance. Uh, <laughs> Cy's a lovely man, but uh, you know the, the fact is that most adventure cartoonists uh, during the classic days had people helping them out because it's a it's a huge job, and uh, you know you never know who's going to come out of the woodwork and, and and let you know that they worked on the Phantom for a while. Uh, I, I had never known he worked on it, and I, I was a guest at a comic book convention in Minnesota a while back, and Jose Delvo was there. Uh, Jose's done a lot of comic book work. He's kind of famous for having drawn Supergirl in the 1970s. He's drawn a million other things. Uh, and he came by my table and looked at my Phantom art, and he says, oh, I drew the Phantom. I said, really? He says, yeah, I drew the wedding story. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's, there's a fact you may not know, and he penciled it. You know, and Cy would have made it and, and, and made it his own. Uh, but that's just that's just par for the course for you know the classic days of the newspaper strip. You know, Milton had assistants, Chet Gould had assistants, they all did. Uh, now that's different than today, because those guys had assistants because there were a lot of newspapers and the strips paid a whole lot of money and they could afford to have a staff. You know, you see pictures of, of Kniff working in his huge, gorgeous New York studio with his lettering guy and his background guy and his secretary and his personal assistant. Um, I draw both my comic strips by myself. I do the lettering, I do the color, I do it all at home on a, uh, a Wacom Graphire tablet and my MacBook using uh, Manga Studio and Photoshop. And the only help I ever get is from my three-year-old and my six-year-old who come and drive me crazy while I'm trying to work. <laughs> and call it helping daddy. So, uh, you know, that's, that's just the reality of, of drawing a newspaper strip these days. Uh, and now, of course, there are people who are drawing humor strips that are in a half a gazillion newspapers. And you know, those folks may be able to afford assistance. Uh, but, but most of the, the uh, adventure strip artists, the few of us that are left, you know, are pretty much doing the gig on our own. Uh, and I don't mind. The fact that I'm able to do it digitally means that you know, the work can, can proceed pretty quickly. Uh, you know, you see that I have donated a, a piece of original art to the auction that is actual physical inked art on paper. And for the first, you know, three and a half years or so of the fam, I was producing it that way. And then I got seduced by the, the evil digital side. And uh, somewhere in the middle of the Jungle Scout story, just started uh, started doing it electronically. So I'm sorry to tell you there's no original art <laughs> for anything beyond that. Uh, maybe at some point, if I really catch up on schedule and I'm, and I'm way ahead, maybe we'll get back to drawing on paper again. And, and the fact that so many of you came to see me at Supernova and bought originals from me has convinced me that perhaps that's a good idea. <laughs>
and I have to catch up on schedule a little more first. Um, the other thing I should say is uh, Tony DePaul, who uh, has been riding uh, the Phantom for quite some time now, loves motorcycles. <laughs> and, and he would really like this place. Okay. He, would, he would be crazy about it. Um, I don't really know what else to, to tell you about my career and, 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 and working on Phantom and uh, being a cartoonist, except maybe can we open this up to questions for a little bit? Because uh, again, I have nothing written down on winging this. So if any of you have anything you'd like to know, I would be very happy to answer any questions that you have. And none of you are putting your hands up. Oh, no. <laughs> this, this, sir. Yes. I know you've got the Rebel model kit, and you've got a, a, a what you on Facebook, and you said you've got a, a stack of model kits that are, are not finished. Has that yeah. always been a, a hobby? Yeah, I, I don't have a stack of those, unfortunately. <laughs> I have I, I had I had two of those, and one was actually a resin copy, which I, I kept. Um, yeah, I love model kits. Uh, from a kid. There's a, there's a company called Aurora Plastics that in the 1960s started producing model kits of movie monsters. They started with Frankenstein and then the Dracula and Wolfman and all the, the classic Universal Studios movie monsters and moved on to Marvel superheroes and DC superheroes. And those sold so well that Ravel countered with a couple King Features characters. They did Phantom and they did Flash Gordon. And that was as big a thing for me as comics were as a kid. So this is sort of the nexus of my two childhood obsessions, where I get comics and model kits together. Um, and I had, I had abandoned the hobby uh, as an older teenager because, you know, girls. And so, <laughs> and so I, you know, I went a long time without, well, I was already still drawing comics, and that's nerdy enough. You don't need to add model kits on top of it. Um, but a couple decades went by, and I attended a uh, comic book collector show in Cincinnati, and there was a fellow there who had some of the old model kits. And I looked at those, and they were just like old build-up ones that had been painted by a kid, and they were terrible, but they were, they were the same kits. And I looked at those and said, man, I used to love those. I think I still do. And so that began uh, my obsession over again. Uh, there's a convention uh, in Kentucky called Wonderfest that is completely devoted to figural model kits. And I started attending that and, uh, you know, started buying kits and building and painting them. And the thing that happens with anybody in that hobby is you start buying far more than you have any time to ever build. So you have these shelves in your closet or in your basement just full of all these model kits that you're really going to build someday. You really are. <laughs> and you know, I don't know when that someday is going to come, uh, especially with as, as how busy as, as the newspaper strips keep me. But I found, I found time to build those. So maybe I can find time to build a few others. Okay. So, uh, maybe build a, bit now, a little bit more. Just a little bit. So. You're welcome. Apparently I'm done. <laughs> I'm being cut off. I, I have a so, question. How can you yes. make them clean their rooms? Do you, do you have any them uh, Them? Yeah. Make them? Just them in particular. I don't care about anybody else's. You mean like the phantom rooms? <laughs> like, as in like dusting a collection? There's no such thing. There is no, thing. There is no such thing. You, just, you put your stuff on the shelf and you, you, you love it and you worship it. There's no dust. Well played. Well played. All right. Thank you.
Okay, so that was from uh, Terry Beatty's speech. So what items did they have there on auction, Jermaine? Um, what didn't they? It was, <laughs> it was, there was a lot of, there wasn't as much big stuff, like big ticket items. There was, there was a fair bit of original artwork. Like there was a Sunday from Terry Beatty. Um, there was a few, there was probably about four or five original pages from Alex uh, Saviuk. Um, but a lot of other stuff was like, uh, oh, Fru donated some stuff. They donated their uh, posters and two six-month subscriptions. And I must admit, it's now, in this podcast before, I've bagged the posters and I didn't think they were that good. But, you know, I am going to take back those words because the the, the, the quality they were printed on, it's like a canvas type of print, I actually really liked it. Yeah. Um, I did. Now, I'm, now, I'm probably not going to go out and buy all eight, mm-hmm. but I'm seriously thinking of going to, um, going to buy, buy some of them because the quality that they were printed on, they, it actually looks pretty good. It's not, it's just not your normal laser printed on, you know, on, on glossy paper that just kind of looks, yeah, everyday <laughs> type of stuff. It it looked really good, um, and there was a few other people that were like, "Oh, these look all right. I'm gonna might have to go and buy them." So um, yeah, you know. So um, I'm sure Dudley's listening to this and he's probably chuckling to himself. So uh, just for the record, I was wrong, and those posters are pretty good. Yeah, everything looks better printed on canvas, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we had that. Um, uh, there was a witch doctor and phantom figurine. Um, I'll go into a bit more detail about that in a okay. sec. Um, there was uh, a lot of like, a lot of comics, some the birthday cards, um, those Brazilian purple figurines, a tie, um... Uh, I'm just trying to think. Oh, there was a a Ford hubcap off a car that had the Phantom painted on it. Um, it was kind of ugly, but there was two people that liked it, so it went for 150 bucks. Um, <laughs> That's not too bad for a hubcap. <laughs> it wasn't a special hubcap, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Um, all it needs is just two people to like it and you get some decent money for it. Yep. Um, what else was there? So yeah, there was a lot of small stuff, like, like you know, some badges, some pins. Um, but it, it was it was good because like there weren't, there weren't those high-ticket collectible items that kind of tend to price every, a lot of the a lot of a lot of people out. Mm. There was, you know, there was a couple of higher ticket items like the Fan and Witch Doctor, a couple of the original pieces of art, but there was a lot of the small stuff which meant a, a lot of people were able to bid on stuff. Oh, that's and, you know, good. Like they were able to win stuff for a reasonable price. Mm. So Renee didn't buy everything. Exactly, Renee <laughs> or Duncan. Duncan's uh, been getting a little bit of a habit of buying everything as well. So um, yeah, it, it, it was good. Um, there was some re- ridiculous prices on stuff like there was these uh, set of four repo badges that um, you can buy for ten bucks on eBay, including shipping. 
and I ended up going for like 80, 90 bucks. Wow. Um, you know, so there was, there was some stuff like that that was just like, you know, like, oh my gosh, you know, we're definitely in an auction where, you know, you get two people that like it who have never checked on eBay and then, um, uh, you know, and they get a bit ridiculous. Uh, there was, yeah. you know, there was, it always happens every year and it's usually the same person. <laughs> we usually go around and say, oh, it's not worth that much money. You can, you know, I've just gone on eBay and you can buy it like this. And it's like, or, you know, whinging about, oh, it's not how you run an auction. It's, you know, it's like, dude, get a grip. Um, yeah. So, like, for instance, the fan and witch doctor figurine, um, uh, you know, it, he was just like, oh, you can buy them for 50 bucks on eBay. And it's like, oh, no, you can't, mate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like it was worth more because it was done by Terry and it was a beautiful, beautifully uh, repainted and stuff. You can you can see the progress on his Facebook pages. And seriously, it's the best paintwork that I've done, that I've seen for one of those figurines. Yeah. Um, so I've also recorded that now. This quality of the audio is not as good because um, it's not done by um, a microphone and you're going to hear a lot of people shouting out and stuff like that. But we've included it because the auctions at the Phantom Dinners, and you'll be able to testify to this as well, Joe, they're special, aren't they? Oh, very, very, yep. You've got to be um, in the room. It's just great stuff. Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of like, oh... Um, How's this gonna, you know, and, and, you know, you've got, uh, Antonio, he just, the guy who's doing the auction, he, um, oh, he rabbits on a lot. But, um, <laughs> but it's always, it's always fun. It's always, you know, entertaining. Yeah. So, um, I guess we'll have a bit of a listen to this and, um, I hope you will, uh, stick through it and, uh, on the other side, we'll, um, we'll talk about some more stuff. Okay, well, right, let's get started with the first auction then while we're, um, while we're getting our dessert uh, served. Um, has everybody had a good look at the kids? Does everybody want to get up and have a quick peek? They're absolutely gorgeous. Um, Terry, you're selling yourself short there, mate. You're saying that just because A is true, B must be true. That's not right at all. I grew up in a very small town where there was absolutely nothing to do as well, and I never painted a kid successfully ever, nor can I draw anything. Um, so, well played, that looked awesome. Now the bidding is already up to $350, uh, which is pretty big, but I reckon we can probably do a bit better. Uh, you know the rules, uh, if the bidding is a, a number which we, for this purpose, we should call X, then if you're going to bid, it's probably not a bad idea to bid a higher number than X. Uh, I know it's simplistic. We have some profound um, uh, and and uh, also, uh, if the bidding slows down, logic would dictate that I would say going once, going twice, and sold. But generally, I reflexively turn into uh, the world's most boring human and tell you awful stories about my tortured teenage relationships. And there's a lot of them. I've got a lot of material. So don't upset me. Keep bidding. Um, and also, if you're sitting next to somebody who you think might be wavering, elbow them. Call them names, taunt them, make them feel bad about themselves so they temporarily get some self-esteem by bidding more money than they can afford. Right? It's good for everybody. It all goes to a really good cause. Uh, right. Well, and also, um, is... No, we're ready to go. Right. So,
So I've got 350 dollars $350 on the Revell kit, and somebody's gonna wave at me a magic wand and give me a number. Give me a number. Come here, you shitloads of money. So yeah, he's already got two. He's already got two. Three fifty, three fifty. He's gonna give me three fifty-five. Three seventy-five. Isn't it terrible? The auction is death. That's a really bad advantage. Can you do sign language or something? Three seventy-five. But Phil, Phil is coming in. He's holding four fingers in his hand. Now four fingers on the same hand. Biologically kind of tragic, but to me it implies four hundred dollars. Is that right? Right. So good looking black over there. Your four oh. fingers in the air. Bam. Bam. Oh, that's not money. That's no, no, it was, it was four hundred. Respect. Yes. Four. Okay. So it's with Phil's at four hundred dollars. Four hundred. $2. What the fuck is that? A 400 heart. $420. $420. Well done. $420 to Bradley. Bradley says $420. Phil says $400. I see bad blood in my head. I see relationships torn asunder. I see friendships of many, many years thrown away on a Revell model kit. What do you think of that, mate? I know, I know, but unfortunately you are the cheerleader in our midst whose ample firmness has destroyed the friendship between two people. Right, I've got 420 and I'm going to say 420. What? Are you just waving? What are you doing? 420. He said 420, you're just going like this. 440. 440. 440. 440. 440. Is this the way I go? I'm on a road, you can't get bidding more when I'm talking shit. 440. 440 on Phil. Who's the... Who could possibly make it 450? Let's take a wild guess, Panthers! Bradley! Bradley, you're a legend! You're a legend! Very rarely in my experience does high bidding go together with a ponytail. Very rarely does that happen. And yet, and yet we see it here. This is fantastic. So the ba bass player from Bon Jovi's got 450. What about. I want, what about the chief executive of IBM over there? You've got 440, Phil. Chief executive of IBM, you can afford more than that. Come on. 450. Now he's on 450. No, no, he was 450. You're going higher. Don't you tell me what you're thinking. I'll tell you what you're thinking. I'm married to a woman. She's a mother. Mothers know everything. Right, I've got 450 from one of you. Possibly. <laughs> Who's running this bloody chook raffle? Well, I, I'm going to give it to Bradley at the moment at 450. Phil, you've got to come in at 451. Come on. I've got 451. I've got joyful. Oh, check, it looks fine. Is that what you're doing down there? Just sobbing quietly into the dessert? That was this week's groceries, wasn't it? I got 450 twice at a very unhappy joy. Phil, can you save that woman? 475. 475. 475. Gary, I lost the state of origin, but they're winning this auction. You Does anybody here hate Queensland? Queensland. There's a terrible shortage of interstate loading. other states that upset you. <laughs> it's terrible. Right, I've got 475 once, 475 once, 475. 480. 480! Oh, 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 how did 
back, feel just Joyce elbow right at the back of your head. That was fantastic. Five hundred. That's how it felt. Take that point. Seven. I got five hundred. I got five hundred. I got five hundred from Town slightly north of the Tweed. Of which we'll never speak again. Five hundred. Five hundred. And I reckon it's five hundred once. Five hundred and ten. Five hundred and ten. Five hundred and ten. Five hundred and ten. Simply that of five hundred and a raised index finger, which means all sorts of unhappiness. This is the man who did nine prostate examinations on the same day yesterday. Never raised an index finger at me. Right, I got five hundred and ten. I got five hundred and. 520, 520, 520 for the reveal. I don't even have to flog the kids, Terry. These blokes are doing it themselves. It's fantastic. It doesn't come with a box. It doesn't come with a box. 520, 520, 521. He's got three of them already. Look at all these buggers keeping their powder dry. I love it. I love it. They've all been watching TV shows about auctions. They've all been callous and cautious. We know what's going on. Five, 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 twenty. Twice! Oh, I've got... I've got 540! 540 dinaros! That... Joy! Look at your husband, he's made 540 bucks on back. That was like... A, that was like 99 cents on the back of the coin! I reckon he's overcapitalizing on this one. What are you doing? What are you doing? 540 once, 540 once, 540 twice! 550! That's fantastic. We've got 550. Look, Terry's starting to draw something. Your jaws gets me a little bit excited. <laughs> Later, I'm going to tell you, Terry, about a fantastic show we used to have for about 40 years in this country called Mr. Squiggle. <laughs> it's not what you think, my God. Who is that? Put him in the pool, Mr. Squiggle. No, no, no. It's um. Now, if somebody gets drunk and, and grabs it off you and starts drawing it upside down, it's okay. Just go with it. Upside down. Uh, can anybody in the audience tell me if it's 550 once? I think it is. Yes. Phil Steve Shovel's talking to me. I got 550 twice. God's sake, somebody tell me who the 550 is with. Is it here? It's here. I got 50, $550 two and a half times. It's gone. So. Thank you so much, Terry, for that donation. 550 bucks to the Children's Hospital. And now it's dessert, and then we'll be back shortly for some more foolishness. Alright, folks, so welcome back. Um, so, with the auction stuff done, we're going to talk about uh, the people that spoke at the dinner. Um, now, like I said, most of the dinners, well, I think all of the dinners have at least one guest of honour, but uh, this time we had... Oh, sorry, sorry. These weren't, sorry, uh, that's my fault, everyone. Um, they didn't actually speak at the dinner. These are the people that I spoke to oh, okay. at sorry. the dinner. Um, Misunderstood your notes there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my notes aren't as good as what Joe's notes usually are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the first person I talked to was a... Um, uh, another young fellow, same age as us, uh, Jeremy McPherson, um, who listens to the podcast and uh, 
when I introduced myself to him, he goes, oh, you do the podcast. Is Joe here as well? And I'm like, no, Joe's not here. He's got a new girlfriend. He's all out of out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I didn't say that. But, um, but yeah, and uh, he's a fan of our podcast. So, you know, a shout-out to Jeremy. Um, now, for those who don't know who Jeremy McPherson is, is he is actually a cover artist for free. Um, now, he's done a few covers for free. Now, um, he's done the Golden Rune Part 1 and Part 2 so far, 172.6 and 172.8. He's done a couple of others. To be truthfully honest, I can't remember um, what numbers are they are at the top of my head. Um, but if you look on the fandom wiki, you'll be able to find it. Um, but yeah, he, 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 he enjoys the podcast. I'll put a, put a link in the show notes, um, for anybody that does want to check, check, uh, Jeremy's stuff out so you can easily find yeah. it. Yeah. Now he listens to the podcast, um, and I, straight away I'm thinking, oh, what have I said? He, he listens him? to the podcast and he still talks to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, straight away I'm thinking, okay, what have I said about him? And I, I said to him, um, have I said anything about you? And he goes, yeah, you have. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> and he goes, um, he said, you said something, you said, you said something about my first um, covering. You said it. You know, it was good. It was good to see young blood, and you know, I'm sure he'll improve and all that. And I'm going, oh, did I say that? And he goes, yeah, it was actually. I, I thought that was a really fair, balanced point that you said. And I'm thinking, oh, phew. Um, <laughs> and he, we, I sat near him as well, so um, uh, so there was like me, Paul, uh, John Cookson, and then Jeremy. So we were kind of in the corner. So. I spent a lot of the time talking to him, um, introduced him to, like, Glenn Ford and Antonio Lemus were some of the people that, you know, he grew up on and stuff. Um, now, he has agreed to come on and do an interview with for us. Woohoo! Now, um, it's always good to get other people other than us talking. Um, <laughs> now, the reason, one of the reasons why I think he'll be good to do an interview is because he's actually a cover artist. And the biggest bugbear for the average fan would be the covers. Now, I would... Now, this is this is a, a challenge for all our listeners, all 20 of you. Um, <laughs> um, if you have any questions about cover art or covers or how they design and how they choose them or anything like that, Send them over to us so that, that way, when we interview Jeremy, you can get an answer. Woohoo! That'd be awesome. If... That will be awesome, yep. don't you reckon? Mm. Now, I did ask him a couple of things, and um, one of the cool things he talked to me about was his art teacher actually did the covers for free back in the forties and fifties. That would be that. That would be awesome. Imagine having an art teacher that did that. That'd be great. Yeah. Now you know, like. You know, now he did do some of the. I think he did a Super Yanks, and like he did a couple of the Phantom, but he did like the other covers that Fru had back in the day, like the um, uh, like 
the Phantom Ranger, Surf Falcon, and some of those other ones. But I, I thought that was I thought that was rather cool, and it's kind of like, you know, there's that cycle. You know, and it's not like it's his dad or anything, but it's like one of his old mentors. And then one of the guys he mentored is now doing the covers for free. So I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very appropriate. Yeah, it is. Oh, that's really um, cool. So, yeah, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I'll let him discuss it more when we do the inter, inter, uh, interview. What was actually interesting is I checked my Facebook uh, just before we walked in, and there was a huge discussion about the cover for uh, 1728. Um, mainly talking about the colouring, not the actual art, but the colouring. And um, I was talking to Jeremy, and uh, I think he'd seen it as well. And so we had a bit of a discussion about some of the discussion that people were having <laughs> about the colouring. Discussion I mean, about a discussion. A discussion. Um, oh, it's just yeah. getting too meta. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I'm, you know, talking to the artists, rubbing rubbing shoulders before the big wigs and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was good to. Um, now I won't go into too much details of what he said because we've got to save something for the interview. But he uh, kind of corrected me in some areas that I previously thought. Like I, now I was told. Well, I was informed and it was, you know, it was incorrect. So this is, again, this is me apologising again, um, making a habit out of this. Um, <laughs> um, now, he told me that that the, I had previously said that I was led to believe that the printers did all the colouring. Now, that's not entirely correct. Now, they had final say on the colouring from what, I understand, and I'm, I'm sure this is something we can go in, into more detail with Jeremy, but I'm led to believe that they supply a colour guide. Oh, okay. Now, a colour guide is exactly what it is. It's a guide. So, um, and then I asked Jeremy about the colour for 1728 because, you know, if I'd already said negative stuff and he's still talking to me, you know, it must be my charm is working. So I thought I'll push it as, as far as possible. And he said that the colour guide that he provided was not the same as what the, the final product is and that he was rather, dis, not rather disappointed, but he was disappointed with some of the final outcome as well. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was rather interesting that it was good to kind of get a bit of an insight, understanding how the covers are going from so to speak, the horse's mouth. I'm not calling him a horse, but it's the same. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was it was interesting to kind of get a little bit more of an understanding. Now, I'm sure he would be able to give us more of an understanding uh, in our interview, which I'm rather looking forward to, and we will start teeing that up. Yep. So, yeah, so that was the first person that I had a bit of a talk to that it was it was enlightening, and it was good to hear... Someone in the creative team listening to the podcast. Now, the second person uh, who I talked to was Dudley, the fruit publisher. And again, like Jeremy, he listens to the podcast. Now, as soon as he said that, I started 
panicking? I started getting really worried, panicking. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, great. And I'm thinking, I'm going to introduce myself. And so I introduced myself to Jermaine. And I didn't really register. And I said, oh, you know. And I said, first of all, now, I, it was strategic because I wanted to praise him for what he had been doing in the last couple of months. Like, now, we're going to get into this in a little bit more detail, but there was, you know, certain things that he had talked about in the, you know, in his publisher with Facebook and his message from the publisher and stuff that I thought he was doing a good job. So I wanted to let him know that he was doing a good job because, you know, we're very quick to bag him. So I thought he deserves to know when he's doing a good job. It's fair. So um, I said to him, oh, my name is Jermaine. I just want to let you know that, you know, I believe you're doing a really good job in the last couple of months with this, 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 and this. And I, I believe, you know, you're taking it in the right direction. And then I think it kind of clicked for him. And then he goes, ah, yeah, listen to your podcast. And I'll, uh, yeah, I'm panicking. Um, <laughs> and um, he's actually a really nice guy. Now, I don't know whether he was just pretending to be nice or whether he was drunk and, you know, didn't really <laughs> register or not, but he was a nice guy and we had a really good discussion. Um, we talked about a lot of stuff. Um, again, he gave me some insight to covers. Um, he was telling me about the cover with uh, 1729, which is the latest free. He was saying, now, I spent a little bit extra on this cover uh, and every time I'm doing a cover, I'm thinking... Okay, now what is Jermaine going to be saying about this cover? Um, <laughs> or every time he does something, he all well, you know he'll be sitting at his desk, and this is what he said to me: he said, "I'm sitting at my desk and I'm listening to the podcast," and, and he goes, you know, and then Jermaine or Joe will will say something, and he's like, "Oh no, I knew I shouldn't have done that," um, <laughs> or like he'll stop what he's doing so he can make sure he doesn't do it again and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it was nice of him. One to listen for me when he said he listens to the podcast and then he said that he he listens to our feedback is kind of like getting an insight to the common reader now to me that's that's kind of i felt kind of happy and you know a bit warm and fuzzy about that because it's like you know we're helping through <laughs> um and so, yeah, so it was kind of good. He gave me some um, uh, information about, you know, covers um, and uh, and stuff like that as well. Which um, And then he also agreed to do an interview with us as well. Yeah, that'll be fun. Now, that will be fun. So I reckon, again, if you've got questions for, uh, for Dudley, send them in. Um, and we will, uh, you know, with both of them, we'll, we'll write them down and like let them be aware of the questions and stuff like that and, you know, make sure whether they're allowed to answer it because of contractual and obligations and all that type of stuff. But send us the questions. Um, now, he was really good listening. There was a lot of fans that kind of bailed him up and were just like, Oh, you're the free publisher. Oh, I've got a question for you. Oh, what about we do this? Or oh, what about we do that? Now, now he's a nicer guy than me because half the time I would have just fogged the person off. I probably would have fogged myself off, and and you know I just would have. But he listened to him and he talked to him and he engaged to him, and you know, it, you got to give a guy credit for that, don't you reckon? Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely. Now, um, there was, uh, I was around when one person uh, asked him a question. Uh, it was Simon Brown. Uh, I'm singling Simon out. Um, he outbid me on something, so... Um, <laughs> So, so this, this is, is your revenge. Yeah. yeah, this is my revenge. Um, he asked Dudley about colour, doing a colour issue once a year. Um, now, it was now. Now, obviously, Dudley had thought about this and probably been asked it, you know, another forty times beforehand as well. But his answer was really, really good. Um, now. From what I remember, it was really, really good. So what we'll do is we'll keep that as one of the questions that we asked Dudley when we were interviewing. Um, so, yeah. So there were some other things that uh, me and him talked about, but we'll save that for our next issue when we're talking about the through comics. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Right. Well, um, is that everything you wanted to cover for the dinner? Um, yeah, it, it was good. Now, again, if you've never gone... Or you've gone before and you've always ummed and ahed about returning. I recommend coming. They're always good fun. You get to meet cool people. You get to meet new friends, you know, and then you get to win stuff and, you know, get to eat some food and stuff like that as well. So make sure you pencil it. It's always the weekend of Supernova. Pencil it in now. Book your time off with work. Um... You know, get your um, get your permission slip signed from your missus or your wife or something, and and be there. You will not regret it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, um, we've got one more thing before we wrap up this episode, which is uh, the Melbourne Comic Con. Um, Stephen, our usual third member of the hosting panel, um, wasn't able to make it to Sydney, but he did go to the Melbourne. He's on band camp. Yeah, he's on band camp. Let's hope there's not too many flute players. Um, I should have said that. That was terrible. Uh, he's going to hate me for that. Um, so he went to the Melbourne Comic Con, um, which I believe is separate from Supernova. I don't think it just has a different name in Melbourne. I think it's a completely separate yeah, thing. Yeah, I believe that's the case. Um, and obviously when we were there, but Stephen was nice enough to um, record us what he thought of the convention and send it along, so we'll add it to the end of this episode, so you guys, if you're in Melbourne or thinking of going to Melbourne one time, you might want to check out the Comic Con Roy there. So here's Stephen's thoughts. So, here's your roving reporter, Steve, here at Oz Comic Con in Melbourne, down here with my young boy, Tom. Say good day, Tom. Say good day. Hello. Hello. <laughs> And we're about to go into Oz Comic Con and see what type of fandom stuff we can find for ourselves. And hopefully get an interview, or at least a, a comment, from Bruce Campbell, the man who would have been the Phantom. Okay, see you on the other side. G'day, it's your roving reporter Steve here at Oz Comic Con in Melbourne. We're just on our lunch break. We've probably gone through, I don't know, maybe a third of the, the building. Um... And no surprise, there hasn't been too much Phantom stuff, has there, Tom? He's shaking his head. Plenty of car stuff, so he likes that. Um, I have found um, one store that was selling back issues for about 10 bucks a pop. But um, let's see, hopefully the second half brings us some, uh, some Phantom love. Okay. And I still haven't had a chance to see Bruce Campbell yet. Okay, see you on the flip side. Bye. G'day, it's your roving reporter Steve here, and Tom, say g'day Tom. G'day. 
and we've just been in Comic-Con for the last four or five hours. We've been wandering around. We're a bit tired on our feet now, but I think we've, we've had a blast. I finally, after lunch, found a whole bunch of Phantom stuff. I found a few back issues that I was missing, and I finally got the little, was it one or two inch figurine that I still hadn't got. I got a good deal on that, I thought. And what about you, Tom? Did you enjoy your day? Some yeah, and some stuff. Um, disappointing. No one cosplayed as the Phantom, but that's probably to be expected. Plenty of Doctor Who's and a couple of um, He-Mans and everything else. So, but all in all, my first Comic Con, and I had a blast, and I want to go back again next year. You want to come come back again next year, Tom? Okay, we'll take that as a yes. All right, this is your Rovering reporter, Steve, signing off. Bye. Masters. So here's my summary of Comic-Con Melbourne 2015. I entered my first ever Comic-Con with purple tinged glasses, and for a while there I thought I was going to leave bitterly disappointed, only finding one store that had maybe a dozen or so back issues hidden away at what I thought were you know, quite inflated prices. I did pick up issue 880A off him though. But come the afternoon, I was quite pleased. As Phantom fans, I think we all know that the Marvel and DC juggernauts get most of the kids in. We just asked to be catered for. And so by the end of the day, I had found another back issue store with better prices. They also had Charlton Comics, but by then I had reached my limit. I was finally able to snag myself the Phantom minifigure for 15 bucks. The bloke separated it from the t-shirt pack for me, as I'm no size medium. Now, during the day, I didn't check Facebook, and I kind of breezed past Artist Alley, as there were no Phantom artists there that I knew of, and my three-year-old was getting tired. So, I missed a couple of prints that Phantom fan Trevor told us about later. I was hoping to find a Phantom shirt, but no luck, and my Bruce Campbell interview was but a pipe dream. Overall, even with my purple tinged glasses, it was a great event, and though this was my first Comic-Con, it won't be my last. This is your roving reporter, Steve, for the X-Band podcast, signing off. Cheers. Sarah, everyone. Right, well, that'll pretty much do us for this episode. Um, as always, be sure to check out the site at chroniclechamber.com. Um, you can contact us for all those questions for Dudley and Jeremy um, at the email address chroniclechamber at gmail.com. And, of course, we're on Facebook at Phantom Collector and Chronicle Chamber Phantom Fan Page. We're on Twitter as well and Google+. And all those links, of course, are on the website. So... Check us out there if you're into social media.
Alright, well, thanks everyone for listening, and we hope you join us for the next episode, which, for a change, will be a very positive episode for Fru. <laughs> so I hope Dudley hears it. <laughs> Alright guys, thanks again for listening. Catch you next time. Bye.